this morning's scriptures we're going to take from Matthew 8, 5 through 13 and Romans 12, 1 through 3. And um, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, okay? So when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Declarative healing. No laying on of hands required. No three-hour prayer. No fire tunnel. A lot of stuff's good, isn't it? No oil to anoint. That's, that's good. There's a place for that. But in this case, the centurion come to Jesus asking for something, not even for his own family, but for a servant, somebody under his charge. He said, Lord, all you have to do is declare it from where you are and he'll be healed. Oh, <laughs> he, he wasn't a Jew. I'm going to tell you something. He was a Gentile. He was outside the boundaries. of culture and society and what would be considered normal in Israel and Jerusalem. Matter of fact, in a lot of many people hated and despised him, but he had something that God put in him. And he declared it to Jesus, and he said, Lord, this is what I believe. I know this because I'm under the authority. See, he recognized, he recognized a, um, a pattern. He recognized a procedure. He recognized a spiritual principle. I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slave, do this, they do it. Principle of authority. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, you know what? It takes a lot to amaze Jesus, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you this. You got in you what it takes to amaze Jesus. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, he messed up their world there, didn't he? But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Wow. Cool. Just inject something. Declarative healing. Or a healing, or a, a healing prayer. Sometimes it won't happen instantly. It's cool when it does happen instantly. In this case, it happened in the same hour, the same time frame. Okay? You'll find several instances in the, in the Gospels where Jesus prayed for somebody to be healed, and they weren't healed right then. They, they went back away, and they were healed in that same hour. You know, the lepers along their way, they were healed. Jesus, as a matter of fact, in one case, had to pray for somebody twice, and they were healed. But here's a case of declarative healing 
a faith that absolutely amazed Jesus, declarative healing. He understood the principle of authority, spiritual authority and declarative healing, and his servant was healed. Now, and so this is in Romans 12, 1 through 2, 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. We've talked about faith as a gift God gives. We are in this, in this I guess you could call it a series or in this season of, of, of declaring the word, we're, we're examining the relationship between faith and belief. And I've got something I want to share with you today in case you've kind of been confused in all this or you maybe hadn't got it yet. I've got something to share at the end that's going to help you. So now, having said that, let me say this. Now, I ask that Levi stay in here with us today because he saw a certain movie. When? Divergent? When? Last week. Sister Janie and I went yesterday, and before I get started, I'm just going to say this. If you've not seen it, you need to get yourself to the movie, and you need to see Divergent. Read the book first. Read the book first. Okay. Go out and buy you a copy. Monica's getting some in here so we can share the books and whatever. You can come to our house and read. Read the book first, then go see the movie. I didn't read the book. I saw the movie, and I still like it. Wait till I read the book. The book's coming. We ordered the book. Right here. I'm going to tell you, I'm going, I'm going to do a couple things this morning. I'm going to tell you ahead of time what we're going to do so, so you know where we're going. I'm going to talk about the storyline of Divergence. Okay, Divergent. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say any more than you could learn off watching the trailer or the introductory comments on the web page. Okay, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about the, the plot of the movie. Okay. Then we're going to talk about um, an experience I had yesterday. And then we'll make application to this. Is that okay? So you know the three places that I'm going. I think it's good sometimes for you to know where I'm going. So first of all, the movie Divergent. The first time I saw anything about this movie was, I think probably when Natasha a few weeks ago posted, she took this little Facebook quiz. I, I thoroughly dislike those. But I, I, I do them, for, once I get involved in them, they're kind of fun, okay? But anyway, I took the quiz, and I came out divergent. I am divergent, and you'll get the gist of this in just a little while. And that really was, was not really too much of a revelation, but I knew I was divergent. And divergent means being a little different. You, you diverge from the norm. You don't fit in a category. That's what divergent means. So the, the, the storyline of this movie is this. There's a young girl named Beatrice, and she lives in a world that had been riddled by a really bad civil war. And so after the war was over, the ruling governing bodies 
thought that it would be in the best interest of the future of that world to divide society into five different factions or five different groups. Okay? And a child upon reaching of a certain age would be able to, on a particular day set aside, could choose whether they wanted to stay in the faction in which they had been born into by blood or if they didn't want that, they could choose another faction. But once they made that choice, it was final. There was no turning back. Okay? Now, the five factions are these, and I'm going to need a little help. One of them was the police group. Dauntless, dauntless. And that's the police and soldier group. If you were going to be the police, if you were going to enforce the law, or you are going to be a soldier or warrior, you had to be in dauntless. That's fearless. Fearless was one of their characteristics. Second one was uh, the people who served, who helped other people. They were abnegation. Third group was what? Candor. Honesty. They were, they were truthful. Even if it hurt, they would say that. Hurt truthful to a fault. The fourth one? Erudites. Now, the erudites were the ones who were the geeks. They were the knowledge people. They, they knew stuff. They were the, the, the geeks. Let's just put it that way. And the fifth one was? Who? Okay. Amity. Amnity, and that means friendly. This was the hippie crowd, and the only thing in the whole movie where you saw the amnity crowd is they were out in a field of broccoli in their communal style, and they were real happy in their field of broccoli. And I'm thinking, now this is, I got, they're hippie people. I'm thinking, they got, they, got a, they got another field of something somewhere else. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I, they got a field of something somewhere else because they're all too happy to be in a field of broccoli unless you really like broccoli. But they were harvesting the broccoli, and it was, a, it was a hippie communal thing, okay? Now, in the government of the day, a representative from each of those factions formed the governing body. No? Okay. Abnegation was the chief governing body, okay. Anyway, let me just, I'm not going to rule this. I'm just getting straight back to the pure storyline. Anyway, there was this girl, Beatrice. She was in abnegation which was the servant group, which was the most influential of all the five factions. And she chose, rather than to be in abnegation, she chose to be in dauntless because she thought that was her real personality. That's who she needed to be. Well, along with this, before the choosing day, they take a test. You go into the room, they, they put you in a chair, they give you an injection, and... It's supposed to identify your personality traits to put, and that way you know where you're supposed to be, and then you made the choice. In other words, you think you're supposed to be somewhere, but there's this test you take that says you should be in this place, but if you don't agree with the test, you can be somewhere else. Well, as she took the test, she discovered that she didn't, didn't fit in any of the five categories. You couldn't buttonhole her into one particular place. And at that point... It was inconclusive, and at that point, uh, the lady who was administering the test told her to exit the rear door because uh, she didn't fit into any of the categories, and she was therefore divergent. And that because of her divergency, she would be a target or a threat to the social system order because she didn't fit in. 
anywhere and she would be targeted. And then the story goes on about her journey through the Dauntless faction and then up to the end of the movie and so and so and so and so and so forth. That's the general storyline, basically. I could tell you a lot more, but it would, if I went beyond that, it would ruin the story for you. So I'm not going to do that. But that's the storyline, and that's basically what you can read about it on the reviews. You know? So anyway. You may say, what in the dickens does this have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with everything. Now, you know, I've taken the personality test and the profiles, and I know basically where I am. But when, I, when I've taken the profiles, I'm kind of a messed up lot myself. Even, I'm going to tell you, it even bleeds over into ministry evaluation, spiritual gifts inventory. I'm sort of a messed up area there too. Janie said not nearly as messed up as she was. And you want me to tell you, and, and, and right here I need to make this statement. You start giving people personality tests and, and spiritual gift inventories, and it messes folks up. Because in a contemporary, in a contemporary world, a lot of times is, is, there's more emphasis placed on the peg-holding of where a person belongs than the gifting a person really has. And a person can be going along just fine with their personality, happy with who they are. They can be in ministry just doing just whatever God has called them to do because that's what comes out of their spirit and their soul when they're put in the circumstances of life. And you give them a test and it messes them up. It worries them. And so we don't need to do that. I'm just going to tell you now, and I mentioned that in our prayer this morning before the beginning of the service, God says he is the great I am, and he's comfortable with that. I am that I am, he says. He revealed himself to Abraham. And because God is that I am, and he's comfortable with it, whoever you am, you need to be comfortable with that too because he made you that way for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And so be comfortable not only with who you are, but be comfortable in the way you go about ministering to people because your gifting is going to manifest itself and be comfortable with how it manifests itself. Now, let's get to the heart of this thing. We watched the movie. Sister Janie only screamed once. Yippee for her because y'all just, unless you've been to the movies with her, you just don't know. And I've learned to hold her hand as much as possible in a movie because that keeps her from throwing Coca-Cola all over the person in front of her because she's done that before. Only once. Only once, but she did it. So I'm therefore careful about what she's holding in her hand. So I hold her hand. But we go into the movie. We watch the movie. The movie generally is about a governmental system gone wrong. But that's just that's like on the surface. Anybody can see that. But I'm telling you, what's working beneath the surface is a tremendously powerful spiritual theme. And so we go back into the car, and we were talking on the way back to the car. We sat down in the car, and I had a meltdown. 
because the revelation of heaven flooded me and all of a sudden some things that had heretofore not made sense made sense all of a sudden. Have you ever had those moments? I had a meltdown. And she, I don't know, you know, I don't know how, what her reaction to it was, but um, I think it kind of caught her off guard to start with because I, I rarely ever cry. I mean, it's just something that really don't happen a whole lot. And that doesn't, that's not worth a pat on my back. It's just not really in my nature to cry a whole lot. But I broke down and started crying. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was along these lines. I understand now. Because in the storyline, in Beatrice's story, they, they kept delivering the message to her because she thought differently than the particular group she was in. She was therefore a threat to them and she would be harassed and she would be in trouble. And in, toward the end it said they're going to kill you because you're different. And so as I was sitting in the car, I had this meltdown and I told Janie, I said, I said, our whole family, our whole family is divergent. Every single one of them. And I was thinking about me and Janie and Monica and Melissa. We're all divergent. And I just broke down and started crying. And I said, these are two, two, two things I came up with. The first thing I said, I said, no wonder we go through so much hell. No wonder there's so much trouble. There's so much attempt at the enemy to bring disharmony and disunity. No wonder the enemy tries to, to separate and hurt and destroy. No wonder we've had so many financial problems. No wonder we've had this and that and the other. No wonder. Well, the reason why is because we're divergent. I think differently. I walk outside the box of conformity and tradition. And the enemy has used that in many places in my life to think I'm crazy, I'm a freak, I'm a flake, or worse than that, I've just been wrong and following the wrong spirit all these years. He has fought me that way. And for everything I thought I should have, for everything that society said I ought to have that I didn't have, the enemy said, you're this way because you're wrong. Because you've missed it. And I'm going to tell you, off and on down through the years, I have believed that lie and I thought that maybe somewhere along the way I've done something wrong, I've made a wrong decision and the devil's tried to tell me God's punishing me for that. But that ain't so. I'm going to have to be up front with you and you have to judge this for yourself. But here's where, here's where I, just all of a sudden yesterday it came on me. It is this way not because I've been doing things wrong or making wrong decisions. It is this way because for me, I've been making the right decisions. It is this way in our family and, and, and that sort of thing because we have had the courage to do some things that maybe someone in the mainstream, maybe someone who is in, who's been conformed, maybe someone who has listening to the wise of the world and the ways of the world, wouldn't do. The enemy has tried to make me crazy in telling me that 
because of your nonconformity and not going the way of everybody else that God's getting you for this. Because you see, one of the, one of the statements made in the movie is this, between Janine, who is the head of the know-it-alls, what's her names again? Erudites. Erudite told Beatrice that uh, Beatrice asked her a question because Janine was saying that um, made some reference about human wisdom and Beatrice asked her, so, oh, she said, oh, so you're saying oh, human wisdom is the answer. She said, no, human wisdom is the problem. And interestingly enough, Janine and the other group was using human wisdom in the, in the plot to overthrow actually the voice and the way of the Lord working through the divergence. And so here's what I've got, here's what I want to say at this point. The voice of religion will make you think that you are wrong on all fronts if you do not conform to the religious norm. The scripture says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of this world. So human wisdom, human logic, the way of this world and carnal thinking is diametrically opposed to God. So... so the Christian, now listen here, the Christian, the believer, goes against the premise and the basis of carnal wisdom and knowledge in order to achieve what they want to achieve. We're not supposed to go down that road. We're supposed to rely on the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, which are not of this world. So if any, type, any time in our life we are, we, we are making our decisions based on carnal thought processes or worldly thought processes, we're going to be making the wrong decisions. But the enemy wants you to do that. Okay, He wants you to do that. Now, religion just kind of follows on the hill. If you are a believer, then religious normality or the religious code is going to try to tell you, you need to act this way. You need to believe this way. As a matter of fact, really, you need to dress this way. You need to think this way. You need to talk this way. Yeah. And out of that is born the traditions of men. Out of that is born religious rules and doctrines that's not God. And so here is my, here, here's my, here's my, I guess you could call it a plea to you this morning sitting where you are, number one. It's when you decide to follow Jesus, you've got, you've got to pursue Him, and you've got to pursue the cross, and you've got to pursue your life the way Jesus says pursue it, not the way some world says you need to do it, and not the way some man says do it. And I am not standing up here this morning condemning and criticizing and telling you everything that's in denominationalism and everything that's outside the boundaries of our church is wrong. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that in, in, in every, everywhere there's, there's an identity code in religion, you will find at some point doctrines and teachings of men and not of God. And you have to be careful 
wherever you are, whether it's in this church or whether it's in a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Pentecostal church or whatever, you've got to be able to filter through what is the Lord and what's not because that which is not is going to present itself in a logical way to you. Well, this makes sense. Okay. For example, those of you who have been in any particular denomination long enough, you've learned to catch a hold of the catchphrases. And the religious mindset, the behavior, you behave this way. <laughs> I had, bless his heart, I went to take the pastor to, uh, we moved to a, a new town. I'm not going to call the name of it. We moved to a new town one time. And I had an old red Chevrolet truck. I had it forever and ever and ever and ever. You know why? Because it was paid for. And it was good transportation. It was cheap. Not a problem. But it was not the prettiest thing on the block. It had some dings on it and, and some scratches, you know, and you could tell it was old. There was an old fellow in the church who married a He married into it. He was not raised it. He married into the church. And um, I would visit with he and his wife occasionally. And he had a different perspective on everything that went on in the church. You know, he could, he could see the things that were sort of habitual with us. And we did it just simply because we were who we were. It was denominationally oriented. And, uh, and we would talk about some of those things. But one day he just smiled and looked at me. Now, here's what he said. He prophesied this. He didn't know that. He said, um, so the pastor, he said, I've seen the truck you drive, and it was always parked in the pastor's parking spot. You know? I've seen the truck you drive, and he said, I'm going to tell you this, uh, you're not going to be there long. He said, because uh, you don't drive the right kind of vehicle. He said, they're not going to have that old beat-up truck parked in the pastor's parking lot, pot spot. For very long. And then I learned that he picked up on something and that between the local funeral homes there was a bet going on as to how long I was going to be there. One of them said I'd be there 18 months and another one said uh, it'd be a, like a couple years. This is truth. There was a local bet between the funeral homes to how long I'd be there. You know what I believe? I believe because somebody noticed it. And I'm, I'm, I am not bragging on this. I'm simply, I'm trying to tell the truth and I hope you can filter through this and not be mad at me. I think somebody recognized that I was just a little different for that church. And I wasn't doing anything contrary. But you know, people can sense the anointings on people's lives. And, 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 and I had a particular kind of an anointing and I wasn't there long Oh, yeah, I did that. I preached different. But they liked it up to a point. But there comes a place where you become divergent. There comes a place where you will become divergent and you're going to have to make a choice between the world and the Lord and then you're going to have to make a choice between the Lord and the people who tell you this is what you need to believe and the other thing is what you need to believe. And you're going to, make a, you're going to have to make a choice because the scripture teaches that believers are really divergent from everything. 
And the same scheme the enemy works with in the worldly aspect, trying to get us to conform to the world prior to our conversion and even after our conversion is the same scheme that the spirit of religion uses when we become involved in the church. There's no difference. It's just worded differently. Y'all getting this? And so Levi, the reason I wanted you in here, I wanted you to realize that the Lord's called you to divergency. That's right. He's called you to divergency. And what you saw in that movie last week, you need to let, you need to let that sink deep down within you and you need to grasp a hold of the person that God has made you to be, the anointings and the giftings that you have. You need to embrace that. Because being different is not always being wrong. But also being different sometimes not right. And we are responsible. You know, I said many years ago, we can't let different become our God. But you need to get to the place where if this is what you're called to, you need to get to the place where being different is not wrong either. So you have to be able to distinguish the, and, and, and be able to make biblical Word of God decisions. If, if this is who you are, you need to make biblical decisions. Yes. This is it. Because you see, yesterday I had a revelation and a lot of issues were settled in my life because my doubts and my fears and my disbelief in particular areas were all washed away in one moment. I had a flood of heaven fill my soul and I'm a different person today. Because I realized it's okay to be different. I'm different. But I can't make a God out of that. I am different because God has made me that way. You are different because God has made you that way. Walk in the anointing He's placed on your life and don't back away from it. You know, whatever society or the church tries to pinhole or button you, buttonhole you with... You walk where God has called you. Don't let anybody change your mind. And just because there may be danger out there or consequences to you making a choice to be that, to, to express the divergency in you, let, let that happen. Don't worry about the consequences because in the end, God wins. And you can fight yourself and you can fight God all you want to. But the quicker you quit fighting God and quit fighting yourself, the quicker you're going to get to where God wants you to be. Does that make any sense? I hope so. Now there is a relationship. How do you do that? Well, let's go back into our theme for these messages. The relationship between faith and belief. Belief and faith are similar in some ways, but in some ways they're not. Have you ever heard somebody say, and this may not be applicable to everybody in here, have you ever had somebody say, well, what you need to do is release your faith? And you're sitting there thinking, I ain't got a clue. I've been there, dear God, been in church services, you know, release your faith. I don't know how to do that. Is there some formula? Is there some method, is there method, is there a process to this? Remember this. 
Faith is a gift. Remember who gives faith? God does. God has given every man the measure of faith. That's what the scripture says. And then in Ephesians it says, faith is a gift of God. And so our faith is a gift from God. Okay? Belief, however, listen to me, is a conscious action of your spirit and your mind. Mainly of your mind. So faith is a gift, but belief is an action. Now, faith grows and is strengthened. And this is what I was looking for my notes for because this is what I wrote down. I wanted to be sure to be able to remember it. Faith grows and is strengthened by many external and internal processes, isn't it? Circumstances and situations that you are exposed to that bring, bring to bear on you a decision that you need to make or it affects, it affects your life. That can, that can affect your faith. It can make it grow and be strengthened. Then there are things that are internal, those internal battles that you face. Okay? The internal, everything is, is, is internalized. And nobody really knows you're going through it or you're thinking about it or you're confronted with it, but it's, it's on the inside. And it's it, the same turmoil that can happen when you're affected by external circumstances can affect you the same way with internal circumstances. Okay? So faith can be strengthened by both what is external and what is internal. Those processes. <laughs> Let's go back to um, the first text, Kim. Getting close to the bottom. I want to show you something here. This is how you release your faith. Let's come down a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further. Well, I guess we need to back up some. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. This man came into the presence of Jesus with a faith that had grown and that had been strengthened. This, the particular instance, the last instance where his faith was strengthened and had grown had to do something with the, with the circumstance of his young servant who was at home sick. That was the last thing. Don't know what the first thing was, but at some point where God gave him faith, it began to grow and grow and grow, and then all of us, and, and he, had, he, had, he, had, he had experienced that, and now when it gets up to this situation, his faith compelled him to go find Jesus. A man with authority who could make a declaration of faith, and it happened. So how did, my question for you is, how did that servant receive his healing? What prompted the, what prompted the connection between the faith of the centurion to be able to come to Jesus and ask what he asked, and then... Jesus to do what he did, and the servant was healed. Watch. 
Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened. The thing that triggered the healing of the servant, which is the thing that is the focal point of this passage, the thing that triggered and released healing in the servant's life is because the centurion believed. His faith had been there all the time. You've got faith piled up in you today. In its, all its strength and in all its power. And it's sitting there. Waiting to be activated. Waiting to be released in the situation that either you're in today or the one you'll be facing tomorrow. And let me say this. There will never a situation you come to face where you won't have the faith you need for the moment. That's a big statement, isn't it? Because you may be sitting there thinking, I think I've, I think I've failed. I've let it slip away. Uh, it didn't happen that way, so and so and so and so. I'm here to tell you now, it may have been because you didn't know how to wield your faith. Now, I'm, I'm, what I'm giving you here is a key. And if I'm wrong, the Lord will show it to you. This is me. This is, this is, where, this is where I'm at in all this, in, in our, in this this age of teaching, this, this, this period of teaching. God has given you faith and because of the circumstances that you have faced and the things in your life, your faith has grown. If your faith hadn't grown, you wouldn't be sitting here today. You'd be doing something else because you would have given up long before now. So God has given you faith and everything you've been through, you've got a reservoir of faith in you. And the reason He's given you that faith is, is, is for what comes along in life. Faith is to give you the victory. So if you're in a situation of need today, I'm telling you, you've got the reservoir in you already. It's there. Don't even question it. It is present. It is active. Because Jesus recognized it in this centurion. I've never seen such a faith in Israel. Now, do you think the centurion went there thinking, huh, there's not a, anybody in Israel who has as much faith as me? No, you can forget that. He didn't have any pride in him. But Jesus recognized the faith in him because Jesus had given it to him to start with and he'd seen it grow. But what is the thing that triggered the release of all that power of faith in him? What triggered the release of his faith is because he believed it happened. So the moment he believed, his faith, all that reservoir, all that, all that dynamite was released because he believed. It's a difference in having a reservoir of faith and believing. They work together, they're in tandem, but I'm here to tell you, the way you release your faith is you settle the issue of belief or unbelief in your life. Settle the issue. When the issue is settled, that allows your faith to come out of you and affect the reality around you. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Jesus recognized the faith. It was there. He declared it before the people. Jesus... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Jesus didn't even have to declare. Did you realize that? Jesus didn't have to declare. But the man, Jesus, <laughs> just because the man believed Jesus could do it, it happened. That is the way he released his faith. He believed. And Jesus put it out there for all the world to see. Because you have believed, it has happened. Now, I want you to also note something that I said earlier. It didn't happen instantly, but it happened in that same hour. When the man believed it was a done deal, but the manifestation of it come about an hour later or in the same time period. <laughs> How about that? And I believe when the centurion got home, the man was healed. I mean, he, he walked in there and the young dude was out of the bed or off the couch or off the floor or fever had broken or whatever it was, it was done. How do you release your faith? It's by believing. What's this got to do with divergence and being divergent? It's got everything to do with it. It's got everything in the world to do with who you believe Jesus is. It's got everything in the world to do with who Jesus has revealed and you have believed who you are. And it has everything to do with the authority that you wield. Because the devil's going to spend his life trying to unconvince you of what God has worked out in you. See, the only thing, he, after you believe in Jesus and, and your faith grows, the only tool the devil has is a lie. That's all he's got in his tool chest. That's all that's in his, his armor. That's all he's got in his tank. He's got one weapon, and it's called a lie. And if we believe that lie, I'm, I'm, if we believe that lie, faith cannot be released. If you question who Jesus is, and if you question your identity, well, he'll do that for somebody else, but he won't do that for me. If you go down that train, that, that line of thinking, you have absolutely and totally limited. You've stopped up the reservoir. So his only tool is a lie. And if we choose to believe it, then he's got control over us. But if we choose to not believe the lie, if we choose to believe the truth, if we go counter and contrary to everything the world says and its way of thinking, and if we go contrary to a spirit of religion, I'm telling you, the potential in you will become reality. Because you've learned that faith is a gift, belief is an action, and it's the expression of that belief that releases the potential of faith. It's that simple. And I'm going to tell you, sitting in that parking lot yesterday, when this thing, this whole thing erupted in me, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what happened. 
I don't know if I got delivered from some demon, which probably was true. It was another one of those steps I took that I'm sharing with you now. Because I'm telling you, this whole thing about belief in the faith that we've been involved in here for a couple months, it's changed me. And I'm working through this stuff. And I'm beginning to see the beauty and the glory and the perfectness of everything God has given me and you. And it is making some things that I, some things okay. It's making stuff all right. We need to be there. We need to be all right, and we need to be okay with what Jesus is working out. And I'm going to tell you again, whatever it is you're up against at your, this place in life that you're at right now, you have got, you've got what it takes to get victory over it because Jesus makes sure it's there. He's prepared you, and he's groomed you, and he's matured you to this present moment. Not for tomorrow, but for today. How do you release your faith? Do you believe? Yes. You feel, okay, listen to this. Russ Hutto wrote this. Does anybody just sing anymore? Who's teaching all these young kids to sing like they've got molasses and peanut butter stuck in the roof of their mouth and a foreign version of an English accent that is not their own? Yeah, yeah, there goes old Russ being the critical, the vocal critical crudgemon again. Crudgemudgeon, thank you. But seriously, young ladies, you all need to sing the way you sing. Be who you are. There's no need to act all this weird stylistic excess that makes you look like you're in excruciating pain or have to really, really, really go to the bathroom. I'm looking at you, Lord, L-O-R-D-E, and that is, uh, he explains later on, he's, he, he doesn't like the girls imitating her. It's not her he doesn't like, but it's people trying to imitate her. Isn't that funny uh, that her name, people trying to imitate falsely the Lord? Because what is inevitable is that it will soon be out of style. And in the future, you'll also look more like a copycat than a unique individual when the time comes to stop singing like you've got 17 marshmallows stuck in your throat and move to the next trend in a pop style. Be who you are. Don't try to be a copycat. Keith often says we're transparent here. And I'll tell you. Friday night, I so wanted to just get up and say I quit. I've had it. I'm not worthy to even do the faith sermon on Sunday morning. I don't even want to. I was so low you couldn't scrape me up off the floor. But I went home and my husband prayed with me.
and with him by my side, I got picked up. And that's where my lesson, don't try to go it alone, come this morning. This past week, the enemy has used everything he could to try to make me feel isolated, unloved. I could keep going for about an hour of the adjectives of what I felt. But we have got to not let the enemy steal the seeds that are within us. There was another place in the movie, a line, where one person was talking to Beatrice. And um, the real Beatrice came out at various places in the movie. And in one place, one of her superiors during part of her training um, in Dauntless, in the Dauntless faction, said this, we're not, we're, we're, not, we're not trying to build rebels here, we're trying to build soldiers. Remember that? I thought, wow. Now, see, every time, I say every time, most of the time when I walk outside of the box, I have, I have questioned myself. You know, am I a rebel? Because rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And I've questioned myself. And I realized that that juncture in the movie, just a little bit of revelation, is that God is not wanting to build rebels. He's wanting to build soldiers. But if you're going to be a soldier, you've got to walk outside the lines of conformity. And part of the process through her training was addressing the fears that she had. What are you afraid of today? See, God's given you the giftings and the anointing and the faith for you to be victorious. And, and fear is the one thing the enemy's going to put. A fear, fear of you made the wrong decision. I'm telling you now. <laughs> wherever you're at today you've not made the wrong decision you made the right decision and that's why the hell you're going through is so real it's not God beating you with a big baseball bat up there and taking joy in it no, no, no you're facing what you're facing because you're a threat and the enemy hates a threat but the best he can do is lie to you. The best he can do is a lie. And Jesus is always saying, I love you. I'm full of mercy and grace and compassion. And through your faith you get the victory. And I'm going to tell you something else. It's through your victory that Jesus gets the victory. Because every victory we have is heaped on Him. It's piled up in front of Him. Every crown that you have when you get to glory. Remember the place in Revelation where it said the people roll their crowns before Him? Those crowns represent victory and honor and glory. And every time you win, which should be every time you go into battle, every time you win, it's like you're rolling another crown before him. 
He has positioned you for that. He has given you for that. And just because the reality of where you are today doesn't reflect that in all of its boldness doesn't mean you're not there. Because with Jesus, how can you lose? So what I'm telling you today is belief, believing what he said, believing who he is, believing what he's done, believing what he has for you, that is the thing that's going to be the trigger that releases the power of your faith for you to overcome. Does that make any sense at all? I need help here. Is it true or is it not true? Does it help you any? You're going to either have to believe what Jesus said or you're going to have to believe what the devil said. And I'm tired of listening to his voice. And all of a sudden yesterday when, when it dawned on me that yes, in able to follow Jesus, I have to be dauntless. I have to be diverse. And that means I'm going to be different. I became okay with who I am. And I became okay with who Jesus made me. And I'm never going to have to cross that bridge of decision again. And I'm not here today to be in your face. I'm telling you, I'm here today celebrating a victory. I'm here today celebrating a revelation about who I am. And I'm here today to pray for you that you receive the revelation and you embrace the diverse nature of who you are. That you embrace the nonconformist attitude to this world but that you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because this is where you make the decision to believe. Faith is here. You make the decision to believe with your mind. What do you make the decision to believe? It's your mind. It's your head. I make the decision and I speak it out and lo and behold, opens up the floodgates of the power of faith. I feel real good about this. I don't know if you do or not. I feel good about this because it helps me.